Welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hi everyone and welcome to the Q James Talks About Abuse podcast. My name is Danielle Vincent, I'm the Senior Associate in the Abuse Team here and I am joined by my colleague Kathleen. Hi Kathleen. Hi Danny. And today we are going to talk about something that has hit the headlines and that is in relation to guidance in respect to disclosure of therapy records in rape prosecutions. That's right, Jenny. So previously, the guidance was that a victim or survivor should not access counseling or therapy prior to the trial because anything said in therapy could be disclosed to the defense and therefore undermine the prosecution's case. But the guidance that's now just been updated is seeking to put an end to that prohibition on so-called pretrial counseling or therapy. However, there is a bit of a caveat here, which is what is causing a lot of concern, and that is that anything that is within the notes of counseling or therapy potentially could be disclosed to the defense and used by the defense to try and undermine the prosecution's case. So the reason we wanted to have a chat about this is there's quite a few issues here. So first of all, we'll talk about access to therapy. Now, we both know that it takes people sometimes a long time to come forward and they are dealing with, you know, some mental health issues and suffering in silence because ultimately a lot of people won't disclose to their friends or their family and so they're very much alone. So encouragement to get therapy early, I can see a lot of support for that and can see how it could really help an individual. So that's one element of it. But how effective such therapy would be if you were then aware that these records may be disclosed to the police or, you know, run out in court or or seen by other strangers. You can see it would prohibit you being maybe as honest as perhaps you would want to be or lay yourself open, I suppose, to those emotions that you're going through. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think part of the problem with the previous guidance and and now the updated guidance is that it really puts the onus on the victim and survivor and and their therapist in terms of what information maybe a, a victim and survivor is willing to actually share with the therapist because they might be concerned about how that might be disclosed to the prosecution and therefore ultimately to the defense. And then also we're relying on the therapist potentially to keep very brief notes so that there isn't anything in there Uh, if those records were required to be disclosed, that could affect the case. Uh, And I think that that's an awful burden to be putting on somebody who has already gone through the process of the difficulty of coming forward and and reporting a rape and then having to go through what is usually quite a difficult criminal process as well. Yeah, and this just seems like another element that would stop people perhaps even going to the police in the first place. We both see that disclosure of these types of assaults go very, very underreported and conviction rates are low already. So what we don't want is by guidance changing is that that prevents even more people coming forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, as you've as you've already said, it's good news that 
the guidance is now that you can access therapy prior to the trial. Obviously, it can take some time to get to a trial. You could be looking at, at years often, and you'd be suffering in silence, so to speak, awaiting therapy until the conclusion of the trial. But then on the other hand, I feel like the guidance isn't clear enough around when these records might be disclosed and what that would look like. I mean, all we know at this point is that it's only when it would be necessary and would be very specific. But I would be concerned about how that decision is made. So just thinking about an example, if you had, say, a victim who's 32 years old and her criminal case is about the fact that she's been raped by a stranger on her way home from work, but she has therapy prior to a trial. And in that therapy, she discloses a previous sexual assault by an acquaintance when she's at university. The question is, is that related to the current prosecution? Is it necessary for the victim to tell CPS and for a request for her notes to be made? And if so, how would that be put to her by the defendant's barrister? And I think those are some of the concerns just you know, briefly that I'm thinking about. I'm sure that they are a lot greater than that. But I think that speaks to something that you know I know you've talked about previously in terms of how victims are vilified in, in the criminal process, particularly when it comes to rape trials. Yeah, we've seen this. We've seen this in the press. We, we see this in cross-examination, as you say, sadly, how somebody is dressed, whether they're intoxicated, the circumstances of how it happens, questions about consent. We've talked about this over and over. We see this in statistics and reasons why people will not come forward. And this, I think, will just add another element, like you say, if you are somebody that had previously suffered an assault and perhaps didn't come forward but sought help for it, would that, you know, prejudice this case in respect of, you know, you're then going to be stood and potentially cross-examined about it. And it may just be completely irrelevant to the case in hand. And the other point that you did bring up is if it's necessary for disclosure. Now that is open to all sorts of interpretation. What I may see is necessary, you differ. So how do we know with different police forces or different CPS trials, what would be deemed necessary for one person in one area of the country may not be in another and how that will be guided so that, you know, it's consistent for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. I just think we need a lot more clear guidance around this issue. And I think we should also query how this updated guidance aligns with the new victims code. We know under the victims code that victims have a right to be referred to services that support victims and to have those services and support tailored to their needs. So that means that they have a right to be referred to services. And that would include, you know, counseling, therapy, and ISFA, an independent sexual violence advisor. So I would want to know and understand how this updated guidance and then the disclosure of these therapy notes aligns with the victim's code. If we're if we're putting forward a victim's code and, and enshrining that in law to try and help and support victims, and specifically saying that they have a right to be re- referred to services to support them, how does that then align with the fact that if you access those services, any notes from the services that you're accessing or the people that you're talking to potentially could be disclosed in the criminal case? I just think this whole thing bears a lot more thought and a lot more guidance and a lot more information. Yeah, I agree. And I think that the main focus has got to be there shouldn't be further deterrence for people disclosing such abuse, because as we know, lots and lots of people do not come forward for fear of not being believed or judgment or all sorts of things. So if there was another element 
that's going to add to this, then then it may just impact even further. Yeah, absolutely. Especially at a time when we know that rape convictions and rape prosecutions are at an all-time low. I think we need to be doing more to support survivors and victims and coming forward. And I'm not sure that this updated guidance does that. No, I agree. The other element that I just wanted to pick up on as we're still seeing is the delay in the court procedures at the moment, especially with the COVID backlog, means that potentially with this guidance, if people do seek therapy, that their trials may be years away. So, you know, you cannot expect somebody to effectively freeze time and not seek therapy if that's the case, because it's got to be the balance of that the victim comes first. The survivor comes first in this in this instance. Absolutely. And then if they do, you know, seek therapy and it's years until they get to a trial, are they meant to hold back and not talk about things for two or three years until they get to a trial because they're worried or they're being advised that anything that they say potentially could be just close to the defense? It, it just is not, I mean, no system is perfect, obviously, but this just cannot be the best way to support victims and survivors, I don't think. Yeah, and, and you're right in respect of if it took, if it does take years and you've disclosed things to your therapist and you've worked through things, you may be at a different cycle of healing. And so then going back through such records, you know, if you were being cross-examined on them, could be really traumatic again. So these are all things that I think will need to be reconsidered going forward. Yeah. I think we'll be talking about this probably a lot more. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, to, to, to that point, Danny, I think it could also put you off potentially even having counseling again in the future, which, you know, we know from our clients that counseling and therapy can be really helpful to assisting them in their healing process. And often it can be that they have some counseling and then some time passes and depending on what's going on in their life, it would be helpful and and they find access and counseling and having more counseling helpful again. But if you have an experience where anything that you said to your therapist or whatever is deemed necessary is disclosed in a criminal trial, you might not seek that help that you really need in the future. Yeah, completely agree. Thank you for listening, podcast listeners. If you have any suggestions for future podcasts or have any questions on our talk, please feel free to contact us or we will speak to you next week. Thanks all. Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.